friends. Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey hosting today, and I am very excited to interview Hope Ray, who is a certified sex addiction therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the Detroit area. Hope, I have been watching your work for years. In fact, years ago, when I was starting to work with partners, I was looking for online resources to send them to explain things that were like conceptually in my head, but I didn't have language for them. And I found your work and I'm so grateful. Can you just tell our audience anything else you want them to know about yourself and your work? Oh, thanks for the invitation. And uh, I'm so happy to be here with you today, Kristen. Uh, like you said, I'm a therapist. I'm in the Michigan, uh, the state of Michigan, the Mitten. And um, my work focuses on helping couples navigate the rebuilding of their relationship after betrayal by what I call betrayal violence, meaning that there's been secret sexual conduct that has uh, been withheld from the partner who's continued bonding and attaching in the relationship while this was going on and it wasn't really safe to do so but that partner wasn't given the essential information they needed to be able to accurately assess that. And so the damage and the fallout of betrayal violence is what I focus my work around. I recently published a magazine for women who've been betrayed in this way, and it's called Complex Partner Trauma. And uh, I'm excited to have introduced that to the world because uh, that's kind of the bulk of this theory that I've been working on now for, you know, over a decade, finally put it into words, put it into print. And uh, so other than that, I, I like to, you know, do regular things. I guess I'm a foodie. I like to look at birds and watch birds and maybe someday I'll become a falconer. That's kind of my my new, well, not new, but a longstanding goal that I'm starting to get active with. So a little bit about me. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Hope. So when I was looking for resources, like I started working with partners in like 2012 and there was not a lot out there. One of my favorite videos that I found of yours on YouTube was about stay shaming. And I was wondering if you can kind of explain the concept of stay shaming and that that term that you came up with is so helpful because it's a very common thing that happens to partners. It does. Yeah. You know, stay shaming is, is a term that I felt needed to be a real term. We needed language around the way society and culture or churches or family members will stigmatize or uh, even uh, judge and not understand the situation of betrayal that their uh, loved ones are experiencing. So um, it just froze for about three seconds. Minded too. Minded okay. too. But, but just... I heard the audio the whole time. Now okay. it says my internet connection is unstable. What is happening, Hope? Lord this... in the heavens. I know this is like the most opposed episode. I mean, opposed meaning like uh, I get like, it. There's get so it. much going wrong. This is not normal. I kind of have goosebumps. I suppose we just press on and do what we need to. You want to start from that question again? Yes. Um, yes, I do. I'm just looking, why would my internet be? Okay. Now it looks like it's strong again. Um, okay. One of the, my favorite concepts that I hear you talk about and learn this concept from you is stay shaming. I know one of my 
uh, big pet peeves is all of the judgmental advice and people being told partners being told what to do like you sh- you need to leave or you need to stay or you can't do this or you can't do that and it is so disempowering on top of how disempowering betrayal is in the first place and so you came up with this term stay shaming which happens a lot can you explain what that means yeah absolutely oh i i wholeheartedly concur with everything you just said, which is where, you know, the term came from in my heart. The origins of it were the frustration that I had felt myself in this situation that I have seen clients face. You know, the idea is society, family members, church organizations, clergy, therapists don't understand this stuff uh, sometimes, and therefore they really judge. And what ends up happening is it applies this, this stigmatization to partners, uh, that end up making them feel very misunderstood, making it seem as if what they're doing is wrong and that everybody else knows what's better, uh, for them to do and how they should frame and approach their situation. So, you know, let's think about what's behind that. I mean, the questions that are common among society members who watch, you know, scandals of infidelity unfold on the media. Those questions are things like, why would she stay with him? Or how could he or she possibly not have known this was going on for so many years? Or what's wrong with that person that they're um, not understanding that they deserve better? You know, and those questions are valid. Uh, In fact, as you know, Kristen, uh, the majority of people that we've probably worked with over the years who've been betrayed, they have all said pretty unanimously, this was always my deal breaker. You better believe I'd be out the door if someone ever cheated on me or had secret infidelity going on. No way. No, thank you. And so it's not until we're faced with it and staring it right in the eyes and it, it our, the rug has been pulled out from under us. And here we are in this situation that we realize it's not just so easy to leave. And there's a, a myriad of reasons for that. For instance, there's certain barriers that people face, particularly women, if they've been stay at home moms out of the workforce, uh, and they don't necessarily have the resources to just up and leave and provide for their family or live separately. Uh, there's other barriers too, like spiritual convictions or cultural convictions that cause us to feel like we need to, um, you know, essentially forgive this stuff, move forward with this stuff, or these cultural notions that, you know, boys will be boys or um, cheating isn't that big of a deal. And you have to just fix your marriage, have more sex, watch pornography together. I mean, all these things that get thrust at people who've gone through betrayal, um, cause a lot of confusion and a lot of a lot of hurt too. It perpetuates the, the sense of being very alone and isolated. So there's barriers, but then there's also the idea that um, the love doesn't just drain out immediately because somebody's betrayed you. The thing is, even when we are treated horrifically, when we're abused or mistreated, when power and control has been used against us in awful ways, it doesn't necessarily just make that love and that attachment that we've cultivated with the person dissipate. It doesn't dissolve automatically. And that's another thing the world really needs to understand when they're on the outside looking in, that there is so much more going on than just the idea of someone doesn't deserve to be treated that way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So friends who are listening here, let's put an end to the stay shaming because unless you've walked 
in another person's shoes, you have no idea what kinds of decisions are right for them to make. Um, and I love in our work that we do with with partners and, and specifically with uh, partner trauma support groups, one of our primary uh, guidelines is we do not give advice. I don't even want my facilitators who are trained to tell a woman what she should or should not do. She's already had the rug pulled out from under her and she needs to have the dignity of choice of when, right. if she's going to leave, when she would leave or if she wants to stay. And then to change the decision and at any point in time based on what information she's gathering and what she needs. So I love that term stay shaming because it, it helps put language to something that we have done to women that is so disempowering on top of an already disempowering situation. Hope, um, I know that I recently just heard the term that you came up with, betrayal violence. And I'd like you to unpack for our audience, how is that different from betrayal trauma? Is is it more extreme or what is the difference between betrayal violence and betrayal trauma? Yeah, thank you. The, the difference is uh, simply we're looking at conduct versus the impact that that conduct has. So betrayal trauma is an amazing term pioneered by Dr. Jennifer Freed. And we all know her by now, you know, those of us who are heavily steeped in the field of betrayal, that she, you know, contributed this important concept to psychology. And, you know, essentially it could be described as there's two different types of betrayal trauma. There's institutional betrayal by which you are betrayed within an organization that you belong to, or that was uh, meant to have uh, a protective um, uh, relationship with you and that gets exploited. So for instance, if you were a part of a college sports program and experienced abuse within that program, that's an example. Um, the monarchy and the way in which certain people may be treated uh, as part of the monarchy, that's another example of institutional betrayal trauma. And then we have interpersonal betrayal trauma where between people, uh, there is betrayals that take place that are, are more significant than, say, one that could happen with a stranger. So oftentimes that would be a, a child and their caregiver. There's betrayals of trust and safety. Or this can also happen between adults, uh, intimate partners or uh, friends, where there is a, a a huge and tremendous violation of trust, and therefore um, somebody gets exploited or their safety is maligned, and they are not um, aware of it uh, until they become aware of it. And so they continue being in the relationship in a way that then perpetuates that harm. So betrayal trauma is an excellent term. Betrayal violence is different. And you could say that uh, betrayal violence is a type of betrayal trauma. It would it would match the interpersonal type of betrayal trauma, especially between intimate partners. And betrayal violence is simply a, a look at three specific modes of conduct that when these three things are mixed together, it constitutes a form of violence, even if the intention of being violent isn't there, even if there are no black eyes or bruises or STDs or STIs, the violence has to do with the intention to use power and use control against your intimate partner by you know, managing their reality in order to avoid the consequences of the secret behaviors, the infidelities that are going on. So just to, to 
briefly outline what betrayal violence is. It's three modes of conduct that occur at the same time. The first thing being you are maintaining a relationship with your significant other while secretly and repeatedly violating fidelity and then using what I call abusive behavior and communication to avoid the consequences and conceal essential information from your partner. Abusive behavior and communication is really outlined in betrayal violence as three things, deception, so that's outright lies and half-truths and all sorts of things that have to do with deception, persuasion, which includes elements of thought control, the kind of stuff that cult leaders use to persuade people into disbelieving their internal senses or their external experiences. And then the third thing is exploitation. So abusive behavior and communication is deception, persuasion, and exploitation, which is to essentially take advantage of your partner, whether that's your partner is a stay-at-home mom and you allow that that one, uh, your partner to take on the lion's share of the domestic tasks to therefore go and stay late at work or take false business trips in order to act out. Uh, that would be an example of exploiting your partner's labor. So you can exploit your partner's trust. You can exploit your partner's uh, religious convictions, uh, their lack of knowledge about the finances. There's plenty of ways that exploitation can take place. So the abuse of behavior and communication of betrayal violence, I call it ABC, is not about physical or verbal aggression or assault, although sexual assault can occur when somebody has been exposed to sexual diseases uh, that are not being disclosed. Uh, so that is a part of it. But it's important to understand that in betrayal violence, we're not looking at uh, narcissistic abuse, uh, coercive control. These are other elements that many partners also experience. And what that means is that alongside betrayal violence, they would be experiencing these other forms of violence and abuse as well. Mm. Wow, Hope. What a concise, well-developed concept. I would love to hear you unpack more of the persuasive aspect um, because I feel like the, the deception is a little bit clearer. I mean, sometimes it comes in the form of gaslighting and sometimes, like you said, half-truths, white lies, withholding of information. That's clearer to me. And then what you, how you explained exploitation was, I'm sure you could unpack that further, but even just the little explanation you gave was really helpful. But I would like you I would like to hear what you're going to say about the persuasion aspect, because I have in my mind what I think I've seen happen to partners, but I really want to hear what you have to say about that. Ah, well, I have a lot to say about that, but to keep it short, I'll say this, that I don't think the gas, the, the term gaslighting is sufficient to really understand the nature of what's going on in this abuse of power and control, the dynamic between a person who has knowledge that their partner really needs to be able to accurately assess their own safety and well-being when when somebody holds that kind of power in a in a deference of knowledge like that it is it is uh, automatically an abusive thing and even when the reason they're doing that is so that they don't maybe hurt their partner what doesn't matter is if they intend to hurt their partner or not. What does matter is that they're using power and control 
to manipulate their partner's reality. So persuasion is not just gaslighting, but I've taken a lot of, of a, a lot of look at uh, Robert J. Lifton's work around brainwashing. This is stuff that people do, uh, you know, with prisoners of war or cult leaders use this kind of stuff to persuade people into believing essentially a false reality, into believing a big idea uh, of, you know, my innocence, that I wouldn't betray you, I haven't done those things, or the things I've done aren't as bad as you think they are, or you're the one making a big deal out of this, this is normal. These would be examples. In the magazine I just published, I give a lot of specific examples about how persuasion can look. Another aspect of it is, is something called perspecticide, and this is really interesting by Lisa Aronson Fontes. Uh, she's a psychology researcher, and she talks about the idea of when your your own perspective gets so jerked around, essentially, that you know you can kind of hear it in the term perspecticide, where there is no longer a sense of reality. And so gaslighting is a legit term, but I think it's applied in pop psychology so often and so frequently that just to use that term uh, in the context of betrayal violence, I felt was putting things a little too lightly. Mm. Okay. So hope a lot of the people that are listening to our podcast and especially people who are joining our recovery groups are coming from a conservative Christian background. And one of the elements that I have seen that I think falls in that persuasion category, but I want to hear what you have to say about this is um, just religious either terminology, behavior, um, whether it's, but he's reading his Bible every day, but he's an elder at the church, but he's the pastor, you know, like where a wife is seeing certain religious behaviors or uh, recitation, right, verbal or behavioral evidences that does not seem congruent with him also visiting prostitutes or being addicted to porn. And so in her mind, not being able to reconcile, how could these two things, and I'm seeing the behavior, the religious behavior, if you will, right in front of me. So this kind of trumps the secret sexual behavior that I can't see, but I've, I found little bits of evidence. And then oftentimes I find the addict using their religious affiliation, behavior, achievements to can try to convince their partner that they're they're not as bad as she thinks they are. Would that yeah. fall in that category of persuasion? Absolutely. I think it blends the three together. That's why they belong together as part of abusive behavior and communication. So you have somebody who, you know, is deceiving using your example, a, a man who's say an elder at a church, deceiving his wife, using prostitutes while also serving communion or preaching or leading men's groups or whatever. And so the first thing we have there is deception. We have outright lies. We have omissions. We have all sorts of ways that he's trying to hide the shadow side of himself and illuminate the good aspects of himself to create a perception of himself that is essentially false, right? It's duplicity at its finest. But then we have elements of persuasion that follow uh, and exploitation. 
he may exploit the fact that his wife uh, is deep in her faith and has a, a strong sense of wanting to honor her husband, be committed and be a helpmate to her husband. And so, you know, exploiting that to uh, allow her beliefs to be used against her uh, to help her uh, help manage the way that she receives or deals with this information, or if she doesn't have much information about his betrayals, then maybe to to really help her uh, steer clear of that or to um, help her downplay whatever she might feel or, or be concerned about. And then you have the persuasion aspect, which could come across in this example is, you know, but, but why would I love the Lord so much and love you so much and then have this secret life you're you're so concerned about. Why, how could I possibly serve God and and have a heart for ministry while doing these things? Don't you think that would not be congruent? Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of ways subtle and overt that could take place, but those would be examples of, you know, all three of these things combined into one hairy mess that is essentially abusive. Yeah. And for the partner who's listening to this right now going, uh, what, you know, like having the aha moments of you just put into words in a few minutes, my life, right? Okay. I just want to encourage you guys. If you're listening and you're like, whoa, take a deep breath. Yeah. What's happening in your body? Is your heart rate going up? Are you are you feeling some relief, but at the same time, panic? We have to slow things down and calm and regulate our bodies and our minds when we take in new information in order to not spin out in panic. And in order to be able to process and metabolize this powerful truth, so that we can make decisions about what our next steps are. And what we're not gonna do, what Hope and I are not gonna do is stay shame anybody. <laughs> if right. you're realizing, <laughs> if you're realizing, oh my gosh, this is what's happening to me. I thought all this religious behavior was evidence of his goodness. Mm -hmm. um, friends, this is so complex. This problem is so complex and your husband may not have the intention of abusing you or obliterating your reality or your sense of what is true. But that doesn't mean that that is uh, not what's happening, even if he's not intending it. Right. And so when you start to find yourself escalating emotionally, instead of turning off this podcast, what I want to encourage you to do is take a couple deep breaths. I have to do this all the time in my mm -hmm. life to deal with my stress. Take a couple deep, slow breaths. And if you need to go back and listen to what Hope said about this topic again, because it is important to slow down and listen a few times. Because when you're traumatized, when you're freaked out of how this is going to unravel the rest of your life, we tend to either shut down or we tend to go into panic. And it just makes it difficult to think clearly. It makes it hard to learn. It makes it hard to retain the information and we need to just slow down. So I encourage you, take some time, listen to what Hope said again. 
We are going to continue this conversation in another episode that will release in two weeks. I want to encourage you to just do one right next, next right step at a time. And until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you.